On this episode of This Week in Linux, we've got a lot to cover. We're going to talk about the latest kernel release with Linux 6.0, also new releases from Ubuntu, Gnome, and KDE, as well as some news from Fedora, System76, and so much more. It's kind of ridiculous how much we have to talk about. So welcome to episode 215 of This Week in Linux, your weekly source for Linux GNUs. I'm your host, Michael Tunnell. If you're new to Twill, then Twill is a show by the Tux Digital Network that will keep you up to date with what's going on in the Linux world, and I'll give you my take as a 20-year-plus Linux user. So let's get to the show. This episode of Twill is sponsored by DigitalOcean and by Bitwarden. Let's start off this episode of Twill with the namesake of the show, which is, of course, the Linux kernel itself. Linux 6.0 was released fairly recently, and there are plenty of things to highlight for this release. First of all, Linux 6.0 kickstarts the 6.x series with performance improvements, new hardware support, security fixes, and more. Though Linus did make a comment about the version numbering upgrading to 6.0, and his comment was essentially that it doesn't matter. <laughs> He said the major version number change is more about me running out of fingers and toes than it is about any big fundamental changes. Although he did say that there's over 15,000 commits for this latest release, so that is quite a bit. So even though it's not necessarily a big release, it kind of is. But it is interesting to note that the next release is supposed to be even bigger. So there you go. So what's new with this latest version? Improvements for Intel Arc discrete GPUs are in the latest version of 6.0. There's also more AMD RDNA3 enablement has been made in this release. 6.0 has support for Qualcomm's Snapdragon 8XC Gen 3 hardware and early support for Lenovo's ThinkPad X13's ARM laptops is in this release as well. There's also various scheduler changes, including some NUMA balancing, Numa, 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 yeah. enhancements for AMD Zen, as well as AMD CPUs now preferring eight, uh, M weight over halting. So there's also various Intel Raptor Lake additions, like for the TCC cooling driver and much more. Uh, there's a lot of IOU ring changes, such as IOU ring user space block driver support, various IOU ring optimizations, and other promising IO related work like uh, ButterFS Send Protocol V2 is introduced in this version of Linux kernel. These are great improvements, and there are a lot of really cool things planned for 6.1, like I mentioned, which is another way to confirm Linus's comment about the no numbers not really mattering as 6.1 looks to be even bigger and better than 6.0. So of course, I'm looking forward to covering that when it happens. And if you wanna be kept up to date, be sure to subscribe to the show. And if you wanna learn more about the latest version of 6.0, you'll find links in the show notes. Canonical has announced this week the latest version of Ubuntu distribution with Ubuntu 22.10. There is a lot to talk about with this news. And of course, there are a lot of Ubuntu flavors to cover. Uh, I've decided to talk about the flavors next week because there's just so much to cover on this episode that there's just not enough time to fit it all in. So what's new with Ubuntu 22.10? Well, it comes with a number of improvements to the user experience, upgraded to the Linux kernel 5.19, a new text editor app, and a new sound server, as well as out-of-the-box support for WebP images 
and much improved support for the Raspberry Pi, as well as many more things. Now, most of the changes you'll see in the Ubuntu 22.10 release come from the addition of GNOME 43, and 22.10 also comes with updated GTK with the addition of GTK4 and Lib Adweta. If you wanna know more about what's all new with GNOME 43, then I recommend checking out the coverage for GNOME 43, which we do on this show instead, which is in episode, well, this one, in about five minutes. But for now, let's talk about some stuff that's specific to Ubuntu. There is one specific change that happened in this release of Ubuntu that I wanted to talk about because I'm very excited to see it finally become the default option in Ubuntu, and that is Pipewire. And now, first, I was a bit disappointed that Pipewire didn't become the default in 2204, but I am happy to see that it is finally default for 2210. And if you're curious why I was disappointed, it's because that means every derivative that only releases updates based on Ubuntu LTS, like Linux Mint, Elementary, etc., will likely not get Pipewire until the next LTS in 2024 with 24.04. For those that don't know, Pipewire is an awesome project that aims to improve the sound system in Linux drastically. Pipewire has been available as a default for other distros for some time, and now being the default for Ubuntu as well is just it's great news because it will help further the development of the project even faster now. And I'm super excited about that because it has been, it's just a fantastic experience using Pipewire. But Pipewire is an audio server which kind of replaces Pulse Audio and also kind of doesn't. So it's more like a drop-in replacement, but at the same time, it uses Pulse Audio on the back end for compatibility reasons. And in addition to that, it also has support for Jack for pro audio tools, which is of course, very dope. So I am very happy to see this update for Ubuntu. And if you'd like to learn more about what's all new with Ubuntu 22.10, uh, I'll have links in the show notes and also the GNOME 43 topic in a few minutes. On a previous episode of Twill, we talked about an event that Ubuntu is having called the Ubuntu Summit. I mentioned on the show that if you submitted a talk and your talk was selected, that they might pay for you to attend the summit. Well, I figured it was worth a shot, so I submitted a talk. And it was accepted. So it looks like I'm going to Prague in a couple of weeks. So that's awesome. Uh, well, the plans are kind of up in the air right now, but hopefully that does happen. If you're going to be at the Ubuntu Summit, then be sure to say hi. And for those that can't make it, and I do, when I, if I do get to make it, then I plan to record some footage of the event to publish on my channel about the experience so you can kind of see what it was like in like my perspective. So I look forward to that. If I do get to go, we'll see. And uh, next week, I'll let you know for sure if I'm gonna be there at the Ubuntu Summit or not. If you want an easy way to test out Ubuntu 22.10 or any other Linux distro for that matter, then a great way to do that is with a virtual machine. One of the most popular tools for creating and using virtual machines is VirtualBox. Recently, we saw the release of VirtualBox 7.0, so let's talk about that. This is a very big update for this virtualization software in that it adds initial support for virtual machines to be fully encrypted, including the VM config logs and save states, though currently only through the command line at the moment. So in the future, that should be improved in the UI. Uh, there's also new 3D support based on DXVK, secure boot support when using EFI boot, 
support for IOMMU devices like Intel and AMD variants, and support for virtual TPM 1.2 and TPM 2.0 devices. Now, thanks to that new Secure Boot and TPM 2.0 support, uh, VirtualBox 7.0 now supports virtualization of Windows 11 for those of you who have no choice but to use Windows 11, because obviously that's the only reason anyone would use that, right? I mean, Windows 10, I can see there's some value to that here and there, but Windows 11, just woof. <laughs> I'm glad to see the DXVK support also because DXVK is the Vulkan-based implementation of D3, D3D9, D3D10, D3D11 for Linux and Wine using, that's what's used in Proton. There's also a native way of doing that with DXVK native. So this is really good news and be very interesting to see what this combination can do for Linux virtualization in VirtualBox. If you'd like to learn more about the latest release of VirtualBox, I'll have links in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. And at DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your teams can get back to doing what matters most, building world-changing apps that grow your business. And DigitalOcean has a ton of great reasons to use it. There's predictable pricing, robust product documentation, and services that developers love. That's DigitalOcean. And you also get support at every stage of growth when you have a team of just yourself or a team of a thousand people. With the simple, powerful cloud computing you can get at DigitalOcean, you can get it based on any size and it's just awesome. And as a listener of the This Week in Linux podcast and a member of the Tux Digital community, you can get started for free. In fact, it's better than free because DigitalOcean is going to give you a $100 60-day free credit when you go to do.co slash tux2022. That's do.co slash tux2022. And I just want to quickly tell you about one thing that I'm just a huge fan of DigitalOcean for, and that is the awesome marketplace. You can quickly and easily set up a droplet with existing software, or you just make a few clicks and that's it. You're good to go. DigitalOcean is fantastic, and that's just one of the reasons why it's so awesome. So be sure to go get started with that $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform by going to do.co slash tux2022. The GNOME team has released the latest version of the GNOME desktop environment with GNOME 43. Now, GNOME 43 has many Mutter compositor enhancements for better Wayland support. It has many more applications that have been ported from GTK3 to GTK4, and new device security management area has been added to this release, and GNOME Files, aka Nautilus, has seen a lot of various enhancements as well, and many other changes throughout the GNOME stack. Now, with that said, the headline feature for GNOME 43 really has to be the new quick settings menu that is at the top right of the screen in the top panel. Now, the quick settings gives you an overview access to a lot of stuff, like being able to change your network, like your Wi-Fi. You can see performance mode, nightlight controls, airplane mode controls, and even dark mode controls, which is really cool. It makes taking like many of the tasks that, you, that used to be a pain to perform and just simplifies them to make it as little as one click in some cases. Plus, they optimized some features that required activating pop-ups and such to now all be done entirely in the status area, such as changing Wi-Fi networks, which is fantastic. Now, some of you might be wondering, 
Does this mean that they're bringing back the app indicators, AKA system tray? Well, no, no, it doesn't mean that. There has been some development as I've seen and discussion on the possibility of that happening in the future, which is nice, but so far it's more hopefulness than expectation. And I certainly hope they bring that back sooner rather than later because system tray menus are, well, they're here to stay probably forever, but at least for a very long time. Now, GNOME 43 is looking better than ever, so well done to the GNOME team for this release. And if you'd like to learn more about this latest release of GNOME 43, you'll find links in the show notes. KDE has recently released the latest version of the Plasma desktop. Now, this is the KDE Plasma 5.26 version, and this introduces a lot of improvements and features to a wide array of components. For example, they have enhanced the wallpaper system to make it easier to see previews of wallpapers before you apply the settings. It also now supports the use of animated images as wallpapers, plus it now supports light and dark mode wallpapers with an automatic transition, just like the night color feature, which changes the blue light levels of your monitors at a configurable time, you can now change your wallpaper with similar settings automatically based on those settings, which is just really nice. And there's also has been some improvements to the main menu, also known as Kickoff. Kickoff now supports resizing of the menu for those who would like a larger menu than what comes by default. So if you want to make adjustments to make it slightly bigger or even slightly smaller, you can do that with this new change. And they have introduced an optimized alphabetical listing for apps to make it easier to find apps when you have a large list of installed applications, which I do, so thanks. Uh, and speaking of resizing, it is also possible in KDE Plasma 5.26 to resize menus and pop-ups in the system tray. This is really cool because at times, widgets may have a lot of content based on your configurations and your settings, and you'd have to scroll a lot of stuff. Now this would make it possible to resize the widget to fit whatever is needed, which is awesome. Now there are also some improvements to the KDE Discover App Store. There's improvements to like the Flatpak support, uh, better integration with the system trays, such as progress notifications for updates, and just much more. And there's, lastly, there's one more thing that I wanted to let you know about related to Plasma 5.26, and that is the introduction of Plasma Big Screen. Now we've talked about Plasma Big Screen on a previous episode of Twill, but for those unfamiliar with this version of Plasma, Plasma Big Screen is a user interface optimized for usage on TVs and other large displays. For example, like digital signage and that sort of thing. For the audio-only listeners, you can kind of imagine a combination of KDE Plasma with the Netflix interface, for example. Uh, Plasma Big Screen comes with some new custom applications designed to fit well in this new layout. There's a new browser that is optimized for large displays called the Aura Browser. And there's also the new Plank Player optimized for Plasma Big Screen, which is for playing multimedia content including local media, which of course is nice. So I am looking forward to trying this out for sure because the Plasma Big Screen has been something I've been looking at for a long time, so I can't wait to try it out. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the latest release of Plasma 5.26, you will find links in the show notes below. But before I move on, there's something else that I wanted to mention 
and that is the friend of the show, Nate Graham, has been elected a member of the KDE EV board with a platform of hugely increasing both fundraising and the technical hiring aspects. For those who might not know, Nate is the guy who brings to us this week in KDE blog to keep us all informed on what's happening in KDE, which is fantastic. And it's a fantastic blog, and it's also really nice to be informed of that because there's a lot of stuff going on at any given time. And he's also a KDE contributor himself. Now, Nate has been a great member of the community for a long time, and the platform he ran on is something that like, I'm completely behind. Essentially, his platform is, was to increase funding and to create more technical positions inside of the KDE EV Foundation. Now, what does that mean? Well, one thing I have always felt KDE EV needed to do was have more people on staff as developers because KDE has a lot of great developers, but most of them do it in their free time. And you can just look at all the awesomeness that they have done in their free time and then imagine if that was their full-time job. I am so absolutely excited to see what comes from this initiative because this sounds fantastic. Plus, Nate Graham was interviewed on the latest episode of The Pseudo Show with Brandon and Neil, and they talked about commercializing KDE and the desktop, and it was just a great conversation. So if you're interested in checking that out, I'll have links in the show notes for that as well. System76 has been in the news a lot lately, and one of the things is that they have announced a new version of the Thelio with design changes, component upgrades, a new case, and upgrades to their cooling system. But instead of going deep into details here about what all you could see, I suggest check out my good friend Ryan's video about it as he did a review of the new Thelio on his channel, very in-depth, and it's absolutely worth checking out. So if you're interested in that or interested in hardware in general, check out his channel. Now, the next hardware announcement from System76 is the new Oryx Pro laptop. The new Oryx Pro laptop is a major overhaul and update over previous versions of the laptop, making this new version a beast of a machine. They say that the CPU is 35% faster, the memory is 92% faster, and the graphics performance is 40% faster thanks to all of these changes. Now, what are these changes? Well, the CPU, you can get a 12th gen Intel Core i7-12700H, the, the RAM is now DDR5 with up to 64 gigabytes of DDR5 RAM. The GPU is a choice between an NVIDIA 3070 Ti or a 3080 Ti, so this is a beast of a machine. But the most interesting thing for me is the display options. You can choose from a 15.6 inch or a 17.3 inch 1080p display, which that's not as interesting, but this next part is the 15.6 OLED 4K display. This is really good news for those who appreciate larger resolution displays in their laptops, like my co-host on Hardware Addicts. And speaking of Hardware Addicts, there's a new episode that just released yesterday, so go check that out. And I'm really glad to see this 4K display being added because I've become a bit spoiled now that I have 4K displays for my desktop. So putting that on the laptop too sounds great, especially because there is more room to do things. There's just more room for activities. System76 is also having a Halloween special right now, so you can get a discount for the Thelio and the Oryx Pro and the rest of their lineup, and you can find links in the show notes for that. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com tux. 
Bitwarden is a password manager that allows you to have peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. How does it do it? Well, Bitwarden stores all your password in a secured vault. They also generate your passwords and your usernames for you and can even automatically fill in those passwords and usernames on login forms so you don't have to do any of that stuff. And you can access your data across many different types of devices. Whether you're talking about your web browser, mobile applications, desktop applications, or even on the command line, Bitwarden has you covered. Also, Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end -end encryption before it ever leaves your devices, which is fantastic and a critical piece to make sure you know that you're the only person with access to your data. So go to bitwarden.com slash tux to get started. Did I mention you get started for free? Well, you can, but I think you wanna check out their premium account because for less than a dollar per month, that's right, it's only $10 per year, less than a dollar per month, you get awesome extra features. For example, you can get one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, Duo. You also get Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator for temporary one-time passwords, Bitwarden Send, Priority Customer Service, and so much more. You get all of this for less than a dollar per month. So make the smart move like many of the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash tux to get started with Bitwarden. There's been a lot of buzz around a decision made to remove certain codecs from Fedora for a couple of weeks. Following this, OpenSUSE also decided to remove these codecs from the default repos for the same reason. Now the codecs removed were H.264, H.265, and VC1 due to legal reasons thanks to the garbage systems that is software patents. Ryan, Jill, and I discussed this on one of the latest episodes of Destination Linux DL297. So if you want an in-depth discussion as to why this happened and also like solutions that could be, be done, then I recommend checking out that episode, which I'll have linked in the show notes of this episode of Twill. For those unfamiliar with the topic or confused by some inaccurate information that they have seen put out there on the internet, I want to address the drama about this because I have seen people blame Fedora for this and going as far as to say that they are ruining the Fedora desktop and even suggesting people not use Fedora because of this. So to quickly address that, this is not something the Fedora team is happy about doing. So just clarify there. And I say this based on discussions I've had with the Fedora team about it, and it's just something they have to do. It's unfortunate, but... There's no way around it. Now, I saw some coverage on this topic saying that it hasn't been a problem before, and therefore, let's roll the dice. Now, that's what I like to call bad advice. The reason Fedora had to make this decision is that the U.S. software patent system is, how do you put it, stupid and shouldn't exist. That's right. Unfortunately, it does exist, and the patent system has patents on H.264, H.265, and VC1, and they are ridiculous. In order to license the patent for Fedora or any distro, the licensing fees would cost millions of dollars. Not an exaggeration, millions of dollars, which is obviously not practical. And if they choose to keep it while knowing they are in violation, then they could be deemed as willful infringement. This willful part is a key point. If they weren't aware that they were violating it, then they have a case but if they are aware and they violate it anyway, like the rolling the device, the rolling the dice advice, then 
that would be a lot harder to defend. So yes, this is annoying and unfortunate, but let's blame the people who are actually to blame. First of all, the people who are gouging everyone for patenting licensing fees with H.264 and H.265 and VC1, etc. Also, countries having software patents in the first place. Now, this particular issue is because the U.S. software patents, but the U.S. is not the only country with software patents, and these types of patents are globally stupid. Let's say that. Now, we had similar issues with MP3 for decades in Linux, and now the worthless patent for MP3 is expired, and we can use MP3 freely, which has been quite nice, even though the company behind MP3 is trying to get us to upgrade to a newer, annoying version with a patent, we're not doing it, which is awesome. And also another thing is that there is a bright side is that this is only an issue for Fedora providing the codecs directly. However, if a user were to install them with RPM Fusion, then that's fine. Plus there are some open source codecs like AV1, VP8, VP9, which many companies are using, including Netflix, YouTube, and more. The biggest thing to clarify here is that the H.264 codec issue is related to hardware acceleration, not just the usage of it in general, because thanks to Cisco, it's actually easy to use H.264. Now, the only thing that's an issue here is the GPU acceleration, not just watching stuff with H.264. And I hope this helps, but if you want more details on this topic and what solutions there are for it, then again, please check out episode 297 of Destination Linux, where there's a lot of great information, and I'll have that linked in the show notes. To keep the drama going, right, because everybody loves drama, System76 announced that Pop! OS will not have a version based on Ubuntu 22.10, and instead are going to focus on their development efforts of the Cosmic Desktop environment. Now, this is interesting because most Ubuntu derivatives are exclusive to Ubuntu LTS releases anyway. For example, Linux Mint, Elementary OS, Zorin, and many more only release versions based on Ubuntu LTS. And thanks to flat packs and other universal formats, this makes a lot more sense to do these days than it used to. Now, there isn't any confirmation about whether this is to change to an LTS only or this is just for 22.10. We're just gonna have to wait and see. But it's also notable because Pop! OS is often talked about being the Ubuntu distro that gets hardware support faster than even Ubuntu. So I'm curious how this will affect that for users. I'm not sure how far you can push the LTS in that fashion with kernel updates and Mesa drivers and all that, And but it would be interesting to see what happens there. But for now, like I said, we're gonna have to wait and see. But let's move on to another kind of drama thing with, with the Cosmic Desktop because there was some developing information related to the toolkit they chose. So they've been developing their own desktop environment called Cosmic as the next part of their Pop! OS Linux distro. The most interesting thing about this new desktop environment is the use of the Rust programming language. We recently found out that in addition to the, that they have decided to use the iced GUI toolkit instead of GTK for their first party apps and the desktop itself. Due to this, there has been a bit of drama around this news as well between people from System76 and members of GNOME. What I'll say is that some people are disappointed that System76 didn't choose to go with GTK and they are instead going with Iced. And they are expressing that disappointment in a not so productive way. Now, in my opinion, this decision really should not be surprising. 
In the past, there have been many people who are not happy with the direction that GTK is going in. And there have been many debates involving people from multiple different projects, including System76, around the direction that GTK is going in. Now, the fact that they chose to make a different desktop because of the differing of opinions should also imply that the GTK toolkit is not necessarily at the top of their list. Now, they did consider GTK, but instead they went with ICE. But for those unfamiliar with these previous GTK drama, one quick example is that Libidweta library for GTK4 removed a lot of features related to customization and theming, which did not sit well with many people. Related to this, there was a website created that was an open letter to distros to tell them to stop theming apps, furthering the debate about customization. Some people interpreted these decisions as GNOME saying it's our way or the highway or something like that. I will say that one valid complaint right now with that choice is that Iced doesn't seem to have the ability to have accessibility support, which could make the desktop harder to use for those that need accessibility features. This would be a fair point if Cosmic were to be releasing anytime soon. However, my sources say that the new desktop environment of Cosmic should not be expected for a while. And it's possible the alpha release would be accessible sometime next year. And for those who aren't aware, the term alpha release means that it's a very, very early stages of development where bugs and other issues are not only expect like going to be there, probably it's expected to see them there. So it's more of a proof of concept release than anything else. Now, this would imply that Cosmic is likely a couple years away from stable release status. So, yes, accessibility support is very, very important, but they have a lot of time to get ready for that. So the debate about Iced not having it versus GTK is a little bit gray area right there. Now, in my opinion, the Cosmic desktop is so far away from being an option for users that drama around it isn't really that productive. And System76 is a company that wants to create a custom desktop and that is a big undertaking with a ton of decisions to be made. And I expect people to disagree with, well, at least some of their decisions and probably more. That's the nature of the beast of developing in the open. If they want to create a custom desktop, then I'm all for it. And I look forward to trying it out when it does release, regardless of what toolkit it is using. If you'd like to learn more about this particular news, you'll find links in the show notes. There is a new custom launcher for Minecraft that allows you to easily manage multiple installations of Minecraft at once on Linux and also Windows. This project is called Prism Launcher. The reasoning behind the creation of this project is a bit odd and contains a bit of drama as well. So I guess this is the drama section of the show. Now, Prism Launcher is a fork of PolyMC, which itself is a fork of MultiMC project. Now, up until this week, PolyMC was quite popular, but all that changed a few days ago when the founder of PolyMC decided to kick out most of the development team due to political reasons. I don't mean political in like they had a disagreement about the, t the future of the project or anything like that, but seemingly they didn't like the politics of the individuals themselves because they added a code of conduct and that sort of thing. There's not a lot of details provided as to why, but the commit of removing the code of conduct does imply a bit. And there's also a tweet about it if you want to check that out. Now, at first, people thought that a developer's GitHub account was hacked because it seemed like a third-party attack. 
Turns out it wasn't. Interestingly enough, based on the com commit history, it seems that the majority of the work on this project was being done by the people who were kicked out. So because of this, you might expect the project to be forked and you'd be right. Now, I decided to cover this topic on the show because if you are a Minecraft player, then this is very relevant to you. You know, you should switch to Prism Launcher at this point. And to everyone else, this is kind of a PSA for other projects. This decision really only hurt the developer of PolyMC doing it because in the eyes of many people, they essentially just made their own project irrelevant and also tainted their own reputation. In fact, many articles that talked about PolyMC are now being converted and edited to reference Prism Launcher instead and making new articles to make it clear that they are talking about Prism Launcher and not PolyMC. So it's essentially the same app and with those changes is really just search and replace. So it's a really easy thing to do. To the developers of Prism Launcher also, I just say good luck with your project and the speed of which you did the forking, rebranding, the new logo, the new website and all that, it's pretty impressive. So that's we're gonna end the topic right there. If you'd like to learn more about it, I've links in the show notes. Now I wanna tell you about all the, the exciting things happening here at Tux Digital. First of all, let's talk about Destination Linux because we recently had a couple of awesome interviews on DL. We just interviewed Wukash Arizinski from Pine64 on episode 298 of Destination Linux where we talked about a new board that they are releasing and their new Bluetooth earbuds that are coming fairly soon, which I am definitely excited for. And these are called the Pine Buds. We also have another great interview on episode 297 of Destination Linux, where we talked to Key Jeffries of Session, the open source private and encrypted secure messaging application. Also, like I mentioned in the KDE topic, check out the latest episode of Pseudo Show where Brandon and Neil interview Nate Graham of KDE. Hardware Addicts also has brand, a brand new episode just released yesterday, so be sure to check that out. And there's so much more great content on the Tux Digital Network, so go to tuxdigital.com to get it all. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux, and if you like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the channel and the show, you can become a patron by going to tuxdigital.com slash contribute. Thanks again for watching. My name is Michael Tunnell with the Tux Digital, and I'll see you next week for another episode of your weekly source for Linux. Good news.